Ace is the place with the helpful hardware, folks. It's Ace's biggest LED light bulb sale of the year. Right now, buy one, get one free on our best-selling LED light bulbs. Our four-pack of LED bulbs is $9.99, and our two-pack of LED floodlights is only $12.99. Buy one, get one free. There's no limit on how much you can save, so stock up now. Hurry in. Buy one, get one free on long-lasting 10-year LED bulbs, now through Monday, only at your neighborhood Ace. See participating stores for details. Well, 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 well. Look who is here. Uh, I, I know you're all tuning in for a Spurs show, but it looks like we have the two-time defending Western Conference champs, Golden State Warriors, in town right now. And, of course, to represent them is Danny LaRoe, the newest guy on the block here at the Locked On Podcast Network. By the way, I'm Jeff Garcia, your host of Locked On Spurs. Uh, Danny, you want to introduce yourself to the, uh, the fans that are going to be tuning in to this heated debate? Sure. I'm Danny LaRue. I've been doing, I just started Locked On Warriors, but I've been covering the team since 2009, and I write for Real GM, The Athletic, and The Sporting News. All right. So, and of course, I am your host, Jeff Garcia. You know me, I'm Locked On Spurs, and I am the Spurs beat writer for News 4 San Antonio and Fox 29 San Antonio. So, with that being said, Spurs Warriors, another epic season for these two teams. Will they eventually meet in the playoffs, unlike last year, when everybody was anticipating that matchup in the Western Conference Finals? Well, we're going to find out right now. And I guess my first question, Danny, is simply this. Do the Warriors fear the Spurs? Are they on their radar? Or are they just taking the uh, approach of, hey, we're the best in the West, we're the best overall, nobody can stop us? The Warriors have a lot of respect for the Spurs, dating back to the series that they had a couple of years ago when this, the Warriors surprised the Nuggets and then faced San Antonio and, and lost in six games. So that will always be there, of course, with Pop and so many of those players still on the team. Duncan retired, of course, but beyond that, they have so many players with, that are the same. So I think there's a lot of respect there. And San Antonio was the second best team in the West, arguably the second best team in the league last year. So certainly there's plenty of respect, but we will have to see how San Antonio fares without their cornerstone for the last almost two decades. Yeah, Jim Duncan has retired uh, after 19 seasons, and what a feat, what, what a career he had. So without that legitimate rim protector in the paint, in comes Al Gasol, David Lee, Marcus Aldridge is still in the fold. They bring in another big man in the offseason, Dwayne Dedman. Uh, when you look at that, the Spurs and their interior defense, are the Warriors, in your idea, and your mentality, you think they're just salivating. They're just like, oh, my goodness. Nobody's going to protect the rim anymore. It's time to crash that board and you get that paint. The Warriors are a team that do not really do that much of that. They shoot a lot more from the perimeter than in the paint. They also don't draw a ton of fouls, which is a way that other teams will probably exploit the Spurs more now than they ever had. And Duncan was amazing at contesting shots without fouling. And so that will be different. But the Warriors also have Kevin Durant now, who is much better at that than anybody they had on the team last year. So time will have to tell. But that, if you want to call it a weakness for San Antonio, will not be as big of an issue against the Warriors as maybe the Clippers or some other teams. All right. Uh, you know, when, when I look at the Warriors, obviously I'm looking at Clay Thompson, Stephen Curry, and Draymond Green, the Warriors' big three. Another year together, uh, uh, they went through their tribulations last season in the NBA Finals. How much does that experience in the NBA Finals 
losing the way they did, it only makes them better. I mean, that's, I mean, that's the only approach you can take. As long as they don't have a crisis of confidence, I think you're right. There, There is that possibility just sometimes players go off the reservation once they have something that disappointing. I mean, they, have, of course, had a 3-1 lead in the finals and let it slip away. So that is a possibility, but it feels unlikely considering how this team has been built and how they've grown together. And also, as somebody who covers the Spurs can attest to, having the talent that the Warriors do makes it a lot easier to get over that because you're going to be put in the situation again. You're going to have a good shot to win. Yeah, and you know, in the, in the Warriors, let's be honest, you know, they are you know, the cream of the crop in the West. No Spurs fans should deny that. If they are, they're just, you know, they're putting their head in the sand and just... Uh, don't want to admit the obvious, but when I look at this team, Danny, even since last year, even going to next year, or this upcoming season in a few weeks, you know, I, I sometimes I just stand here and I'm like, oh my goodness, they don't have any weaknesses. Their bench is solid. Their starting five is solid. They have the lineup of death. But you, did, but the Warriors did lose a big piece, in my opinion, and that's Andrew Bogut. They lost Harrison Barnes. They lost Barbosa. They lost a lot of key, I guess, role players, if you will. How is that going to factor in heading into next season? Or is that even, or is it maybe it's a non-factor? It is a factor, and the biggest way that it will linger is the possibility of injuries because the Warriors are super top-heavy. They have, I mean, one of the best cores of any team in NBA history with Curry and Durant, both recent MVP winners, and Draymond Green and Klay Thompson are both bona fide all-stars, not even in the Western Conference where it's a lot harder to get in there. So they have that as, as a core, but they don't really have a ton of depth beyond that. So if anybody misses time, you have to slide guys up. And it is more of a regular season issue just because as long as everyone's healthy for the playoffs, they can give those guys heavy minutes and the bench won't play very much. But they will be fundamentally different. And one of the attributes to watch with the Warriors, whether that be against great teams like the Spurs or whoever else is, how the ecosystem for this team is. Because they had players in Bogut and Barnes last year who are talented and fit into what they were doing. You know, they let Curry, Thompson, and Green get their looks. They played good defense. They played hard every they played hard every possession, like that sort of thing. So that worked, and that was a big part of what led to winning 73 games. And Durant is a clearly superior player, but it is a different thing. And when a team wins 73 games the prior season, it changes that, and any difference is is a difference. And so it, it will probably lead to them having less wins just because you never anticipate someone will break the wins record again, but it will be a fundamentally different squad out there. Was Kerr incorrect? by not resting players last season down the stretch. It looks like it may have caught up to them in the finals and at all times you don't want it to catch up. They looked a little weary. They looked off their game a bit. Their shot was off. There was even the injury to Stephen Curry. We don't, you know, there was that as a factor. Do you see maybe next season Kerr probably pulling in the reins a bit saying, you know what, Kerr, uh, Curry, you're taking the night off. Green, you're, you've got the next night off. And sacrificing wins. Seeing the long-term go. If they're not gunning for history again, it seems almost certain that they will because the only reason that they really pushed for that, there were two actually. One, the Spurs were close enough for a long time because they the Warriors really wanted home court, so they pushed for that, and that, that carried them all the way until April. And then those last week or two, that was when they're looking at 73. And so 
if unless both of those things are true, like they were last year, they will rest their guys a lot more because there isn't really that incentive. And we don't know exactly where home court, you know, how many wins it's going to require. But if they're comfortable in that, there isn't really an incentive to push. And we don't know how that impacted it, but it certainly didn't help. And so it's hard to prove it. It's with injuries. It's very nebulous. But putting that sort of where both physically and mentally and the mental part of it should be considered as well that it took something out of them and I think that it's it's unfair to say that cost them the title but it created risk factors that ended up being a part of what cost them the title uh yeah you know this and Spurs you know they they themselves addressed their needs off in the offseason they needed to get younger they needed to get more athletic long in the paint they did that they brought in Algasol mentioned they brought, you know, obviously Kawhi is there. Lamarcus is going to be in the fold. They tried, they're trying to get younger. They added DeJounte Murray in the draft. They brought in a few of their foreign draft picks with that stash overseas, Dallas Bertans, Livio John Charles. So you're starting to see them transition into a new phase of youth and athleticism. Uh, seeing now, you're from the outsider's perspective looking into the Spurs. I, I, you know, all Spurs fans love to hear what others outside of the fandom, if you will, have to say. What did you think of the Spurs' off-season moves? You can even talk to their Dwayne Dedman. You know, did that kind of put the Warriors fans kind of like in a dizzy, or were they like, yeah, you know what, it's still the Spurs, they're so old and slow? The old and slow part isn't as big of a deal as much as just losing Tim Duncan. He is an irreplaceable player and was a big part of what made San Antonio so special because he's a amazing defensive player who also can contribute offensively and while you know he was more limited in recent years than than in the past getting that 20 to 25 reliably amazing minutes from a defensive center helped their defense the Spurs were one of the best defenses in NBA history last year and Powell is a great player but he takes away that impenetrable part of San Antonio's game and it isn't as much about speed as much as it is about you know the skill sets they're very different guys and Powell is a wonderful offensive player but what will be really interesting for from a Warriors Spurs perspective is whether San Antonio can generate reliable offense against the best defensive teams in the league because while these squads didn't play in the playoffs last year that was going to be the big question and in my opinion, that was something that manifested itself against Oklahoma City, who played out of their minds defensively in that series. But San Antonio proving it on that end against the best teams, will that'll put a scare into teams like Golden State. Yeah, you know, the Spurs are going to be trotting out a very big lineup, at least they're starting core. I mean, you can pretty much predict it's going to be Lamarcus, Kawhi, and Pau Gasol, Danny Green, and Tony Parker. But the interior is going to be big. They're going to have big guys in there. You're coming off the bench, I mentioned Dwayne Dedman, the new, the new acquisition. Uh, you know, so again, the Spurs are kind of going to try that inside-out game, perhaps. But the Warriors seem to handle that pretty well. What makes the Warriors so good at handling big teams? Is this really just Draymond Green, or is this a collective? The Warriors put a lot of pressure on especially the bigger opponents, you know, power forwards and centers, because they can roll out lineups where everybody is a capable shooter. And so what that means is you can't lay back. And Stephen Curry is an incandescent offensive talent, and so he forces defenses to handle pick and rolls differently. You know, bigs have to hedge a little bit more. If you can switch, that's great. San Antonio will have problems with that, just like most teams do. 
So the Warriors generally don't care if another team goes big. It, it creates weaknesses on the defensive glass for the Warriors, offensive glass for the other team. But that is a trade-off they're willing to take. And we'll see how Durant swapping in for Barnes will change that. So the big part of it isn't as much of a concern. And the Warriors, it gets underappreciated a little bit that their guys who play big in those lineups, so Draymond and it'll be Durant, are generally good at defending larger players. And that's the trade-off that makes the death lineup, if you want to call it that, so captivating is that they're not sacrificing as much as other teams. You know, usually when you're playing a power forward up a position, you're giving up a lot. And Draymond, you don't have to do that. So that is a different thing. However, the Spurs size plays well and uses it well. So it's a little bit different because LaMarcus can shoot, Powell is super skilled and is a great passer. So the Spurs will have to muster up their arsenal and do the best that they can, but they have the capability to challenge Golden State in a way that other teams do not. All right, and you know, you brought up pretty much the big elephant in the room, and that is Kevin Durant's big splash for the Warriors in the offseason. Huge. Uh, talk about what that does, Eddie, what just Durant alone does, not only to the makeup of this roster that just won an uh, NBA franchise NBA history record of win seventy three. How does that change? Does, does, does Durant change the chemistry? You know, there's been talk about who gives up touches. You know, is that a concern or is it that's a non factor and it's just let's just write this new lineup out to a title? It's certainly a concern. It's an adjustment. And any time a team goes through a major change, there will be uncertainty with that. And how they manage touches is a big one. How Coach Kerr manages the rotations is another big one in terms of who plays with who. When do they sit certain guys? And Kevin Durant also has played in a very different system from what the Warriors are going to demand of him. Because something that was true even before Kerr was in with when Iguodala and various other players came in is that there is this mentality that when you join Golden State, you're going to play this style of basketball. And so Durant had to come in with that understanding and he'll probably get a couple minutes to do his thing and take shots and run a little bit more ISO. But like we saw with LaMarcus last year, when a great player joins more of a team, more of an ensemble, they have to take on some of those characteristics themselves. Uh, you know, with the acquisition of Kevin Durant, uh, you know, which is tremendous for the franchise in, in Oakland, you know, came a lot of backlash down towards Durant and his decision leaving OKC. And even to a certain degree, the Warriors themselves, there was rumbling about how Draymond Green was texting him and getting a hold of him throughout the season, trying to lure him. Uh, and it's almost as if, like, the Warriors are kind of morphing into almost, dare I say, the bad boys, kind of like the villains of, of the NBA. Is that true, and how are the Warriors accepting that? I don't think they care. They're a team yeah. that Miami, that first year when they did the, you know, not three, not four, it seemed like LeBron in particular cared about the way that they perceived it. But the Warriors, from everything that I've dealt with so far with Team USA, most notably, they're going to do their own thing. And what is fundamentally different about this Warriors group from a personality perspective or from a basketball perspective is that they're going to be really fun to watch. And so it's hard to hate something that's entertaining. You know, it, it's a very different thing. So we'll see how that persists during the season. They're going to have a lot of national TV games, so there will be plenty of opportunities for that, you know, in national and international basketball audience to see what it is. But 
that is, is something that generally, you know, happens. And Miami is a great example of that, you know, Miami was really fun to watch when they were in transition, especially once they opened it up after the first year. And I anticipate the Warriors will be more in that vein. So outside of when they're, you know, those games when they just hang a big number on a, a fan's own team, they'll probably be entertaining to watch as long as you be, you're ready for a fourth quarter that might not be competitive. All right, let's talk about the offseason acquisitions for Golden State. The big one, obviously, is Kevin Durant. Everybody knows about that. But what about the other acquisitions? Like, dislikes. They did a really good job of handling what was an incredibly limited amount of flexibility. So they had the what's called the room mid-level exception. It's what Manu signed for last year, and they signed Zaza Pachulia with that. Pachulia is a really good player for that amount of money. He apparently took a lot less to join the Warriors. He isn't as good top to bottom as Bogut because Bogut was such a good defender, but he's a capable offensive player, and he actually hits free throws. David West, former Spur, did a great job on San Antonio last year, was willing to be a smaller cog in a bigger machine. And then outside of that, the biggest acquisition is probably going to be Patrick McCaw, who's the player they took in the second round. They bought a pick from Milwaukee, and we don't know exactly how he's going to fit in because a guy's a rookie, he's only really played in summer league, but there's a possibility that he becomes a rotation player because the Warriors are actually pretty thin on the perimeter outside of their stars. Uh, yeah, I mean, you're, you're, the Warriors are definitely top-heavy. There's no doubt about that. But, you know, looking at the new acquisitions, they were pretty nice pieces to fill in for what the Warriors lost. I think losing Bogut is, was huge. That was, you know, a loss that really I think is going to hurt the Warriors down the stretch. Losing Harrison Barnes, though, to Dallas, yeah, you know, did he just fall out of rotation in, in the Warriors? I mean, he was seemed to be the whipping boy of Golden State. He, he had a weird path with this team because he did a nice job as a support guy, but he was the highest of their draft picks in that loaded 2012 class, which included Draymond and Festus Azili, who also ended up being sent away kind of as a part of the Durant thing. And Barnes, it's underappreciated. He was actually really good in games three and four of the finals, where the Warriors lost game three, and then they were, you know, they were competitive, they won game four. But he was so bad in five, six, and seven that he went back to the scapegoat role. And so he was an important piece, played well defensively for most of the year, actually hit the open shots he took. But you know, they replaced him with Kevin Durant, so it's a very different thing because Durant is an MVP, he's one of the best players in the league, and he is capable of being the def- close to the defender Barnes was while being, you know, arguably the second best offensive player in the league. So losing Barnes hurts, but replacing him with KD takes all of this thing out of it. Oh, I'm pretty sure it does, and I'm pretty sure the feeling in Oakland and all among Warriors fans throughout the world is just excitement for next season. All right, and speaking of next season, let's go ahead and talk about the Spurs-Warriors regular season matchups. Danny, I think you have that on hand. Yeah, so they only play three times this year, and it's, again, this was also true last year, it's kind of a strange split. So they play opening night at Oracle, and that is the only time these two teams play in the regular season in Oakland. They, They don't play again until March 11th, a Saturday night in San Antonio, nationally televised game. And then a couple weeks later, they play on a Wednesday, Wednesday, March 29th, also in San Antonio. So I don't know why the league does this, especially considering these two teams might have already established where they're going to be by late March, but these games are still going to be fantastic. Yeah, they're going to be fantastic. And who knows, perhaps those two teams are still neck and neck in the standings and could come down to those two games to decide 
who gets the higher seed, San Antonio or Golden State. Now, you know, we talk about the Spurs and the Warriors and how we're hoping for a clash of Titans in the Western Conference Finals next season, cross fingers. But is there another team that perhaps the Warriors are kind of having on the radar right now? Could it be a Clippers? Could it be a Houston? Is there another team out there that kind of puts a little bit of worry in in the Warriors? The Spurs are probably number one, but a team to keep an eye out for is the Utah Jazz. The Jazz are big like the Spurs are, but they're younger. And Utah hasn't made the playoffs in a couple years, so of course they haven't faced the Warriors in the playoffs. But they've had a couple really good games in the last couple seasons. And so if the Jazz can push into a seed where they could face the Warriors, you know, maybe let's say in the second or third round, that is a team they would be intimidated by. And the Clippers and Rockets are in this boat that the Warriors have, you know, I I think the Warriors feel comfortable that they can handle them. They beat the Rockets in the first round last year. The Clippers, they've they've only lost to them in the the playoffs the year when Bogut was hurt, but there isn't really that fear, and both of those teams didn't get substantially better. So if you were to rank threats to Golden State, at this point it'd probably be Spurs 1, Jazz 2, Clippers 3, even though the Clippers have a much better shot of getting the 2 or the 3 seed and then thus making the finals than the Jazz do. Yeah, exactly. I think that's a sentiment from the Spurs fan base as well. Obviously, the Warriors are the number one threat to the Spurs. But after that, I will put maybe even the Clippers as the number two, just because it still goes back to this idea or this feeling that the Warriors and even to, to a degree the Clippers still have that edge over the Spurs in youth and athleticism and athleticism uh, that is able to stretch it out like a dream on green. You know, like uh, somebody who's just a threat in the paint, like a Blake Griffin or, or DeAndre Jordan. You know, the Spurs don't have that type of big. They try to address it with Dwayne Dedman. But, you know, again, he's still an unproven young guy. Crazy athleticism, yes, but doesn't really can't create his own shot. Doesn't really have a go-to game offensively, but defensively he's fine. So there's still that feeling that the Spurs made a good faith effort in the offseason, just not good enough. Now, is it just me, Danny, or does it feel like the West is just very top-heavy? It feels like it's Spurs and Warriors and then everybody else. We'll have to see how, how the Spurs produce in this season. I mean, that's really what it was last year. But the Clippers shouldn't be undersold because Chris Paul is still an incredible player, and they had a lot of turmoil last year with everything that happened to Blake Griffin, you know, being injured and then getting injured on top of it involving a, a team employee. So they could have a really nice season if they can stay healthy and, and kind of stick together. And something else worth considering is just how these teams will, will get in the playoffs. They're are a couple other teams, Utah and probably Portland, we'll have to see how they work out, who, when you condense into a playoff rotation and you give them a year to figure out who the best players are, can be competitive. So we'll have to see, but in terms of what we know, that's certainly a fair way to do it. And the question I wanted to ask you is, the Spurs have a lot of change just in terms of Duncan leaving and, and guys getting older, and how do you feel the holdover young guys, meaning Kyle Anderson, John Simmons, players like that, do you think that they're ready to take a larger role because they're going to be important this year in a way that they haven't been before? You have no idea how much that is on my radar. That topic comes up a lot on Locked On Spurs plenty of times. Kyle Anderson, I'm looking at him. He's entering his what, third year into the season. You know, he plays phenomenal in the Vegas Summer League. He looks good in spot minutes last season. But with the loss of Boris Diaw, the Spurs are going to need that 
for lack of a better term, Swiss Army knife player. Diaw did it all. He could hit the occasional three-point shot. He could pass from the paint. He was able to snake his way in the lane and for an easy deuce. So Kyle Lander represents a lot of that. Kyle Anderson's games reminds me a lot of old-school Paul Pressey's game. If he could just look at footage of Paul Pressey in action and just duplicate that, he'd be great. He has the length. He's young. They call him slow-mo. Yes, I get it because his game is slow, but he is kind of athletic. You know, he can get to the paint. So he needs to work on his outside shot, but if he can step it up off the bench for San Antonio, that's just a vital cog for the Spurs' attack next season. Now, as far as Jonathan Simmons, another guy that needs to have, how can I say this, a breakout season light. I'm not expecting the world from him. I don't think that he will give, like, this explosion of points and defense next year, but he has to step up a wee bit. Last season, he started off pretty good. There was national TV attention for him, national media attention for him. He came out of nowhere, this kid from the DV who paid his way to try out for the Austin Spurs. He made the San Antonio Spurs. But then he fizzled out midway through the season on end. Could you say he hit the rookie wall? Maybe. But he lost a lot of confidence. He lost confidence in him. His shot lost confidence. There's no denying that he is athletic, and he can get to the rim and finish with authority. But he needs to create more than just simply that. Looking at the more for him, it has to be his outside shooting, mid-range shooting, to be exact. And then defensively, obviously, everybody can work on defense. But those two guys have to step up their game, and more so Kyle Anderson, heading into next year. Are they ready to give less minutes to, I mean, granted, they've already been limited to the other guys because, you know, the Spurs have so much talent, especially in the, on the perimeter with Tony and Manu and Danny Green and, and everybody else to really give Simmons a chance because part of what happened last year was he'd get these spurts and he'd struggle and then Pop would pull him. Kyle's a little bit different because he's more of a forward, and so Diaz, as you said, leaving opens up a little bit more there, but will Simmons get a chance to play? Yeah, he's going to have to. I, I, I think... This is Spurs. I think Pop sometimes needs... Look, Pop can be very rigid to a fault. It's good to be rigid and structured and, and set the tone, but he needs to sometimes loosen it up a bit. And I, you rarely see that from Pop. Spurs fans remember the Mike Finley days. My goodness, Mike Finley was on his last leg, but yet he still rolled him as if he's an all-star Mike Finley. Pop needs to start letting Simmons do what he needs to do. Very similar to what uh, situation happened when Manu came on board as a young buck. Hey, you know, Manu was trying to rein, Pop was trying to rein Manu in, so eventually he let the reins go. Look what happened. So I think Pop needs to take the same approach with Jonathan Simmons. Now, he's just going to be a sophomore in the NBA, so he's still going to have his learning curve. But, I mean, obviously, you know, Simmons needs to just keep on doing what he's doing. He's on the right path. Just don't regress. Just keep on moving. Just keep on plugging away. Um, but aside from uh, that, yeah, I mean, Kyle Anderson, Jonathan Simmons, two vital cogs off that bench. And I would even toss in Patty Mills. Oh, yeah, he was great in the Olympics, too. Oh, my goodness, yeah. I mean, it just goes to show you what happens when he gets the minutes and touches. But the problem is, is that he has Tony Parker playing ahead of him. Now, I'm kind of on the ledge here, and I, I wouldn't be surprised to see Parker's minutes reduced, not because he doesn't play well, but because... Pop may take the same approach he did with Duncan in his later years, like slowing him down, resting him for the long term, and letting Mills, a younger, uh, more uh, offensive-minded point guard, 
take over and get more minutes. He needs to start doing that. There's no knock on Parker. Let's just be honest. Parker is on his decline. It's obvious. Steph is gone. What happened to the teardrop? That used to be a deadly shot. Now it's almost gone now. So see Popovich take that approach. Sit him down a couple of games, reduce minutes, stable for when the Spurs need him, and that's the postseason. Yeah, that's certainly fair, and I'm going to be excited to see how Pop manages all those backcourt players. I, I was talking with a friend of mine a couple of days ago about the idea of playing Monty with Danny Green a little bit more, because Danny Green's best defending ones, and so putting those guys together a little bit, you know, that, in my opinion, that might actually be their best crunch time duo if Tony Parker keeps on slipping, because Monty was excellent last season. Yeah, yeah, and I agree with you there. Uh, Patty, Patty Mills, his shot, he looked on spot, at least in Rio. Last season, he took a little dip. There was a little dip in his outside shot, but nonetheless, you know, he looked like he definitely rebounded from what we saw playing with Team Australia. And But it is funny we're talking about the point guard position because actually that is my area of concern for the Spurs heading into next season. Parker, Mills, great. Phenomenal. But what if happens to one of them and they get injured or something happens where they just can't play? That's where I get concerned because the drop-off in depth is just considerable as far as experience because you have a 19-year-old rookie, DeJounte Murray, and then you have uh, a guy they just recently picked up from Team Argentina. I know shocking, Spurs got an Argentinian, Nicholas Lapervitola, and then you have Ryan Archidiacono. Okay, let's face it. Ryan is probably going to be in the team. Okay? Then you have DeJounte Murray, who is a 19-year-old kid under Pop's watch, Probably not going to get a lot of minutes and not be buried on the bench. He's probably going to be spending time in Austin. And that leaves Nicholas. He might be the one the Spurs turn to for that insurance point guard. He's a proven uh, veteran overseas. He's, un- he's not like uh, somebody who got drafted out of college. He's played in the pro leagues overseas. He's been in you know, crunch time, high-pressure situations, namely in Olympic play, international play. So I see him more as the insurance point guard that they may turn to. So that, that position right there is what worries me heading into next season, the point guard position for the Spurs. Yeah, it'll be exciting to see a little bit of uncertainty with San Antonio because they've always been this rock-solid team, and to actually have questions that have to be answered over the course of this season will be notable for the entire league because the Spurs are so relevant. Okay, I have a question for you. Outside of the obvious, Kawhi Leonard, is there another spur on the roster that kind of puts a worry in you? Offensively, eh, not really. LaMarcus is great, but the Warriors have good people to throw at him. Defensively, Danny Green has done a nice job over the years on Stephen Curry, and having Kawhi means that you can put Danny Green on Stephen Curry and you don't suffer with that. You know, That's something, a, a privilege that a lot of teams do not have. So Danny, if he can be consistent enough offensively, to play that pop will keep him out there. He is a player that can be a game changer on an offensive force like Curry. Yeah, and and on the flip, when I look at the Warriors, you know, outside of their big three, Draymond Green, Curry, and Thompson, you know, I, I started looking at really honestly, it's not even a player. I look at Kerr. I look at the coach. I look at Kerr, who's like he just knows he's starting to become that coach in the league that kind of can anticipate the Spurs play. He is a uh, Spurs product, and I think he's adopted well the Spurs' beautiful game that we saw in 2014. I think Kerr started to be that coach, kind of like a Rick Carlisle that can plan ahead when facing Pop and the Spurs. 
Yeah, that's a good point, and we'll see how he can handle this challenge of a ver- of you know multiple stars and a, a different team that's going to have to work together. But he has done an excellent job the last couple of years. Oh yeah, I, I, you know one of the knocks I had until I saw uh, recently, especially in the playoffs when they're showing him in the huddle, is that kind of like well, Kerr, sure, but you have. Clay Thompson, Stephen Curry, Dream Hungry, and now Durant. What more do you have to do? You know, just throw the ball out there. But he's not simply just rolling the ball out there. He's really instilling plays, instilling the mindset of pass first, move the ball, get the deep, get it done on the defensive end. He's not just simply, like I mentioned, rolling the ball out, say, okay, guys, play, have fun. Yeah, and you can see that in the difference between the Warriors' offense under Mark Jackson and under Curry. You know, they went from being 12th in the league in Jackson's last year when they lost to the Clippers in the first round to second in the league the next year with largely the same talent. And then they changed over their first last year, and we'll see what they do this year. But Kerr and the staff, Alvin Gentry and so many other guys, deserve a lot of credit for instilling that in players who had already been successful. And I'm glad you brought up Gentry's name because he's also his first product. So yep. really talk about knowing the enemy. You know, the Warriors really have that locked down. Okay, so the Spurs and Warriors played three times in the regular season. Uh, what's your prediction? Uh, let me guess, a 3-0 sweep at the hands of the Warriors? 2-1 and one seems more fair just because the Spurs are such a good team that it would be shocking to see them lose three times, especially considering two of the three are in Texas. But, you know, any anything in that 2-1, 3-0 range, and San Antonio is good enough. But opening night, I mean, it, it, that would be a fascinating test because, you know, be the Warriors' first home game since Game 7, and San Antonio will, of course, have a lot to play for just like they always do. So that is probably the most exciting one because it's early and it's before both these teams will have figured everything out. Yeah, I'm going to go with you two. I'm thinking 1-2 uh, Spurs. I'm sorry, 1-2 uh, Warriors having the advantage. Two games to one on the regular season. I see. I can see Pop already pulling the. Oh no, we have to rest Kawhi Leonard and Lamarcus Aldridge and Danny Green for one game, or the next game. And just again hiding his ace up his sleeves. And he doesn't want to show all his cards. I see that happening in uh, one, if not two, of these three games that the Spurs and Warriors are going to be facing this upcoming season. So yeah, I see Warriors two to one over the Spurs in the regular season. Now the big question, will these two teams meet in the Western Conference Finals? Yeah, I think that's the most likely outcome right now. I mean, both teams will have plenty of uncertainty, but they're the number one and number two teams in the conference, and why not this year as being one where those two actually face each other? Yeah, exactly. I agree. It looks like all roads and all signs are pointing to a Warriors-Spurs-Western Conference uh, Final. Let's hope. We thought last year we were going to get it. Didn't happen. Thank you very much, Oklahoma City and the refs. But that's for another show. But the refs with a horrendous uh, call in game two. But I digress. See, I don't want to get in my soapbox right now, Danny. It was going to happen. <laughs> but it was going to happen, but I, I caught myself. I reined it in. But no, uh, so yeah, it should be an exciting regular season matchup between these two Titans of the West, if not the, the league. It's going to be great. Hopefully, it'll entertain. And we'll get a seven-game series in the playoffs between these two teams and very competitive regular season games. Uh, Danny, where can people find you on social media? 
So my Twitter handle is Danny LaRue, D-A-N-N-Y-L-E-R-O-U-X, and I have a Facebook page, which is Danny LaRue MBA, but then my writing is Real GM, Sporting News, The Athletic, and then Locked on Warriors, of course. Real GM Radio is is weekly, and then I regularly do the Dunked on Basketball podcast, which is daily as well. Wow, you are a busy man. It's my job. You you are a busy man. Uh, wow, you, you, you do it all. Make sure you follow Danny everywhere. Read his writing. Listen to his show. He's really entertaining. He's very informative. And that's what I like. His information is spot on. And, of course, uh, you can follow me right here on Lockdown Spurs on Audioboom.com. You can find it on Stitcher, Google Play, TuneIn. Danny, they can find us anywhere. You and your show and my show. I mean, yep. There's no excuse for them not to download a show. And, of course, if you want to question uh, my thoughts and my predictions, what I felt, Email me at jeffgarcia74 at gmail.com. But uh, for myself, Jeff Garcia, Locked On Spurs, and for... Danny LaRue, Locked On Warriors. All right, we're going to put a lock on this episode of Locked On Spurs and Locked On Warriors.